This is the future of, where experts share their vision of the future and how their work is helping shape it for the better. Hello, I'm Tom Robinson. Humanity has made some amazing scientific discoveries, but we are yet to find a way to halt the relentless march of time, and getting old is something that happens to each and every one of us. According to the World Health Organization, the population aged 65 and over is growing faster than all other age groups. So how do we ensure this cohort is healthy and happy and can make meaningful contributions to society? To discuss this topic with me today are Professors Anne-Marie Hill and Siobhan Austin. Anne-Marie is a researcher in the School of Physiotherapy and Exercise Science at Curtin and Chair of the Curtin Ageing Research Network. Siobhan Austin is a Professor of Economics and Director of the Women in Social and Economic Research Cluster at Curtin. Thanks for coming in today, Anne-Marie and Siobhan. Thank Thanks, you. Tom. Good to be here. Anne-Marie, considering we all get old and are staying older for longer, is it time to change the way we think about and approach ageing? Yes, I definitely think it is, Tom. I think that there are some people who are already doing that and we should learn from their examples and begin to discuss this a lot more openly and take... Uh, I guess, uh, examples of people doing some of the activities that we think demonstrate the changes that are taking place. I think that when you look around, you see that older people now work longer. You see older people taking up new careers or perhaps uh, moving back to study, uh, something that perhaps didn't occur in past times. Uh, you see people doing activities. You might notice Masters Athletes and the build-up of Masters Athletes games. And in general, you notice older people taking very active roles in society. So I do think there is an enormous change happening. And if we are going to progress as we'd like, I think, in, in the world, uh, we should harness some of this power and change that's taking place in all aspects of society but uh, certainly, I believe with um, our older cohort of the population, it's a timely place for us to review this. Siobhan, the Australian federal government has come under fire recently for failing to have a plan to manage COVID-19 in the aged care sector. Is this sort of representative of a wider prejudice against the elderly in Australia? It's mm, a really good question, Tom. I'm not sure that there's a wide prejudice against older people. You know, we all have parents and grandparents who we love and admire dearly. Um, but I think when we come to aged care, there are obviously some key problems. And, and some of that comes about, I think, because older people in aged care facilities, residential aged care facilities can become somewhat invisible. And talking to that idea of prejudice, I think I think there is a, a, a sort of a prevailing attitude that the life of the older person is somehow um, less worthy of being preserved than that of the younger person. So, you know, you're getting health resources not being directed towards the preservation of life for the older person. That, that's pretty fundamental um, and, and, and deeply disturbing. So, you know, there is, a, I think, a problem associated with looking at the older person and thinking of them as having a life worth living and investing in whatever life is there to be lived. Um, 
Um, at the moment, I know within aged care, it's more about managing the person's transition. Often it's about managing a person's transition to the end of their life rather than really maximising the opportunity for that person to live a fantastic life for the rest of the time that they've got available. So to live that fantastic life and to harness that sort of power and energy that are coming with older people now, I want to address this to the both of you. What are the key aspects to ageing well? I think that it's a recognition of, um, for all of us at any age, that we need that balance in our life of physical, mental, psychological, social and emotional health. So, you know, our, our whole self is made up of all those components and, of course, they interact. So certainly when people are over the age of around 60, Age begins to matter less and less, and I think as a number, and I think we all notice this. We may have two acquaintances or members of our family, perhaps they are both in their 70s, and yet we may notice they are vastly different in what they do and how they're thinking. So being, as you uh, become a bit older, addressing your physical and mental health is going to actually keep you fitter and able to participate, keep you independent. And those are, those are the things that are going to help you age well. So being mentally engaged, being physically engaged, being socially engaged are key aspects to making sure that you age well, I guess I would say. Siobhan, what are your thoughts on how to age well? I think ageing well is about living well and I'm not that sure that the the criteria are different for older people than you know um, other people so we we in our work we use the notion of capabilities um, so capabilities are about the opportunity to lead the life that you have a reason to value and and it, it encompasses things like being able to be engaged with other people, to participate in issues, including politics, that are, are of interest and importance to you, of engaging with the environment, using your senses, um, having relationships, being um, as well as you possibly can. And so I suppose I push back on a notion that there's a significant difference for older people than there is for younger people. Even that question of when when is a person old is is um, you know really really hard to and if hard to define if not impossible to define. So I think it's a it's a continuum, um, and we're all living the life that we the best life that we possibly can. Um, so I think we both agree, Siobhan, that. Uh, the actual number is very unimportant. The, yeah. the, the number of your age is far less important than what you are doing in your life. Yes. Uh, you could be any age, yes. uh, in fact. It's, yes. it's what you are doing that will lead you to uh, age well, or I guess. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, think, I think there are problems when we sort of say living well is different for an older person than for a younger person because... In some ways, that reflects an ageist perspective, um, and and you know, so often sort of feels quite demeaning for the older person in that you're meant to be satisfied with something that's much less in terms of your engagement, you know, with nature or with relationships with politics. So 
you know, push back against um, against sort of differentiating older people from younger people in terms of what's important to their life. My own sense of things is that they're they're pretty much the same. They they obviously take on some different forms. Yes, I agree, and I think that we talk about, for example. Um, in my field, we talk a lot about being physically fit yeah. and how important that is for your health because if you're physically fit, you're able to go out and do the things you would like to do. And so that is important at any age. And mm-hmm. that starts as a child, uh, moves through your uh, schooling years, mm-hmm. moves through your work life, moves in your social life. So yes, that, that concept of um, having addressing your own uh, health and well-being is important at all ages. I think I would add that as you get older, you can have an increased presence or an increased likelihood of some chronic diseases emerging. And so you may, as you are ageing, have to address some of those uh, in a more tailored way. That would be, I guess, what I'd add. How are advances in health and medical technology ensuring we stay productive and healthy as we get a bit older? They have really, I think, helped people to uh, continue to live very productive and healthy lives for far longer. We know that the uh, rate of disability is very slowly reducing um, as people age, um, indicating longer and healthier lives. And advances in medicine enable us to do some of the things that might have prevented people doing them in the past. So we know that things like joint replacements, um, cardiac pacemakers, advances in cardiac surgery, um, extra good services for when people may come up against a type of cancer, good treatments there, that all helping people to maintain much healthier lives. And so we can't underestimate some of those advances, I think, in health for the longevity um, that's resulting. And I think that one of the key aspects of that, though, is access to that healthcare. And so making sure that people have equitable access so that everyone has that opportunity to be part of that advantage is going to uh, help every individual, but help us as a society as well. Siobhan, in an economic sense, in a maybe a personal finance sense, what are the important elements of ageing well in that space? Well, you need a secure income um, and, um, and, and an income that's adequate. Um, so we, we speak about people's um, desire for um, independence. Um, got to be a bit careful about that concept, but... Um, to, to be secure in your income, your ability, therefore, to afford the, the health and other services that you you need um, is a, a key determinant of people's quality of life, their capabilities. So um, it really is central. In terms of that personal income, I want to talk about the aged care pension. The pension age in Australia is set to rise from 66 to 67 years old in 2023. Why is this happening and could the pension one day be sort of scrapped altogether? A couple of questions there, Tom. Um, so the, you know, the express logic behind um, the increase in the pension age is to manage the cost of, 
of um, retirement incomes for the community as a whole, partly because you're getting an increasing number of older people. Um, partly too, reflecting the change in people's longevity and their their life course health profiles that um, people are phys physically able in many cases, but certainly not in all cases, to work longer um, and, and are going to be living longer in retirement than was the case in the past. <clears throat> in terms of the age pension, the, the um, Australian government has sort of shifted our, our <clears throat> retirement income system um, um, towards superannuation and somewhat away from the age pension. Um, and that's partly around trying to manage those fiscal costs. Um, um, but the large majority of Australians who are retired still access an age pension. So somewhere around 75% of all Australians still get at least a part age pension. The pension should never be taken away. Um, it's a key source of stability and security for older Australians. Um, it's especially important, of course, for people who've um, got relatively little superannuation. Um, so these are people who, for one reason or another, um, <clears throat> throughout their working life, they haven't been able to um, earn high incomes um, and achieve high levels of retirement savings. Now, women are a key group there. So um, the age pension makes a lot of sense in terms of um, being a secure and stable source of retirement income. It's economically efficient way of providing people with retirement income. It's got significant advantages in many ways over superannuation, and it has to stay as a central pillar of the Australian retirement income system. I'd like to sort of um, speak about your research now. Um, Anne-Marie, you've conducted research into falls prevention as someone like myself who is not in any way an expert in this. That sounds quite specific, for um, falls. Can you tell me why this area of research is so important? It is a really key area um, and it's interesting as to why really falls um, are known to increase when people are increasing in age. So they slowly slide up, um, you know, people in their 40s and 50s fall a little more than people in their 30s. People in their 60s and 70s fall a little more. People in their 80s and 90s fall more than people in their 60s and 70s. Um, falls are the number one cause of injury for older people in Australia. And they cost um, significant billions of dollars a year in healthcare. So they are far more frequent and costly than any other type of injury for older Australians. So that alone makes them a really important um, point to focus on. But the key thing that falls indicate is they generally indicate when you have a fall that there's been some decline in your physical ability. So a fall is really something of a warning bell that your actual aging capacity, your flexibility, your strength and balance might have reduced down a little. And so falls are, in a way, a little marker of how well we're keeping ourselves physically and mentally. So 
if we know that we're doing all we can to reduce falls, we will actually be healthy aging because the way that you prevent falls is by undertaking regular strength and balance and exercise and by keeping as mentally alert, physically fit as you can and also just addressing a couple of key issues like your vision. So making sure you're, you're wearing the right glasses, you're keeping your vision sharp. Those are the things that prevent falls. So the things that prevent falls are also nicely and neatly the things that help you age well. So consequently, we look on falls prevention as that surrogate marker of healthy aging. Um, when, when we've done a lot of research, we find that the more people undertake regular strength and balance training, and that could be things like going dancing twice a week, perhaps playing bowls, um, doing their regular walking, maybe taking a swim, uh, or it could be something like uh, regular gardening along with lifting some weights in your own garden shed. You could be doing something like that. So it can be a whole variety of activities, but it's all going to keep you fit and active. And that's going to mean naturally you can go out, go traveling, uh, be working, continue on with the work that you like doing. Uh, perhaps it means you can go and help someone else out with their gardening if that's uh, something you're going to do. So it really enables you to keep participating and leading that very full life. I think that brings me back um, to our very first discussion point here today that the fitter and healthier you are and the more mentally engaged, you're going to get out there in society and do what you want to do. And I think that's a really important thing because there might be some people who would like to retire, but there are many, many older people I speak to who would like to keep working and actually keep the activities that they're doing. They may have a particular job. They may be doing pro bono work. Perhaps they're doing a volunteer activity, but they would like to keep that up. And so I think it's very important that at every age, but particularly as we get older in this context, that we stay really able to do what we'd like to do essentially. In terms of being able to do what we want to do, the word that comes to mind is independence and obviously Siobhan being in the economic and financial space. Can you give me some examples of how your research is helping to ensure the financial independence of older people and women in particular? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, we we doing a lot of research around retirement incomes um, and and with a particular focus on the retirement incomes of women. Um, and so our starting point is just that observation that um, because of the large role that women take on, um, which is unpaid around the caring roles within households, um, over the early part of the life course, they typically end up in retirement which with much lower levels of retirement income of their own um, compared to men. Um, so th those gaps are really substantial um, and with the shift in our retirement income system towards superannuation and away from the age pension, these gaps are becoming larger and more entrenched. Um, so within a, a uh, households, um, women often um, are the ones with very little of their own retirement income and um, more dependent on their partner <clears throat> in retirement for um, accessing 
income and all of the things that it can bring. Um, so our research is attempting to influence policy, um, both in terms of policy that can increase women's superannuation. Um, so there's a range of measures that need to be put in place to make sure that women, when they're taking time out of paid work, to um, 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 engage in the tasks around parenting that they their superannuation balances aren't hurt, that their their chances to remain engaged in paid work aren't hurt. So being able to move into a care role and then back out into um, the labour force and therefore earnings and retirement savings, um, policies that address that are key. Um, and then in, in retirement, there's a really big issue associated with women's ability to influence um, and even have knowledge of the retirement savings that their partner, for example, um, holds or owns. Um, at the moment, there's no rights around even knowing what your partner's retirement savings are, no, no legal rights to influence decisions that he might make about that retirement savings. Um, he could take the money out of his retirement, his superannuation account and use it for whatever purposes he chooses. Um, so there's a gap at the moment around the, that aspect of regulation of, of superannuation. Superannuation is massively subsidised by the state. So massive amounts of tax subsidies are given over to superannuation. Um, and therefore, the state, the government does have uh, an ability and we believe uh, a role in ensuring that that money is well used for all of the people who depend on, on the superannuation savings in their retirement. We're obviously in the midst of the largest health pandemic or the largest health crisis rather in several generations. What impact is the COVID-19 pandemic having on today's older people? and the older people of tomorrow? I think that's a really important question, Tom. And we have uh, noticed with our research, we've been able to measure as WA has been able to do some work again, that a lot of our older people and some of our patients that we have, have declined greatly because they've had to stop going to their various groups and classes, maybe going to the gym. Uh, they might have been doing walking, which they weren't doing. So people have had a significant physical decline in some instances. And we've noticed that that's corresponded then to a, a mental um, decline of feeling perhaps anxious or isolated. So an increase in mental health issues. And what, what we feel is very important is that we have two arms to this. We really need to encourage people to uh, work where they can with what they can. And we're very conscious of any digital divide that needs to be overcome. So there are some older people who haven't got ready knowledge of technology. And we have started a safe exercise at home website specifically to work with older people so that they have evidence-based information to go to. And I do think that that's going to be an increasing um, unless we get a, a vaccine very soon, I think we need to really have at our fingertips how we're going to address that so that older people can feel confident in being able to keep up their mental and physical strength uh, in times where they may need to do 
more isolating or more, more physical distancing uh, from activities that they normally do. So in terms of the economics, um, COVID has, first of all, reinforced the importance of the age pension. So we're, we're doing some interviews with older couple households at the moment, looking at the effects of COVID. Um, the, the people who are, who are on the age pension, um, obviously their incomes are, are, are lower. But but they do have the advantage of that income being relatively stable across you know periods of economic upturns, but also economic downturns. Um, in contrast, people who are heavily reliant on superannuation savings um, are having to experience all of the uncertainty associated with the stock market fluctuations, um, and when you're older, when, once you're into retirement, your ability to bounce back from those economic downturns and the hit that they produce in terms of, you know, the value of your savings is really um, limited, close to zero. So um, um, the impacts of COVID on that group, um, dependent on superannuation, are around, you know, heightened levels of uncertainty, insecurity, high levels of concern about whether or not the superannuation savings are going to last for the um, for the um, remainder of their life. So I think it does also speak to some of the downsides of the shift in our retirement income system away from the age pension to superannuation. It, it's basically produced um, a situation where people are much more vulnerable in retirement to these um, economic fluctuations. In this case, we've got one that's been produced by a pandemic. Well, like so many parts of our lives, I think COVID-19 is having a large and ongoing effect. That's all we have time for today. Thank you, Siobhan and Anne-Marie, for sharing your knowledge on this topic. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. It's been great to talk. You've been listening to The Future Of, a podcast powered by Curtin University. If you have any questions about today's episode, you can get in touch by following the links in the show notes. Wherever you're joining us today, don't forget to like, comment and subscribe. Bye for now.